welcome to Anna Conversations with Myanmar. If you'd like to add your voice to the conversation here at Anna, please reach out to us through any of our social media platforms or you can email us directly. This conversation features Nikki Diamond, a human rights specialist and academic activist from Myanmar who has continuously defended the rights of marginalized communities and supported the victims and survivors of human rights abuses. Nikki is a well-known activist in Myanmar and has often been a target of the Myanmar military. Having been one of the first people to speak out against the coup, he quickly became a target of the military once again. Like many others in Myanmar, he and his family have had to go into hiding to avoid being kidnapped, tortured and killed by the Tatmadaw. Nikki has recently made it safely out of the country, having received the Hilda Domin Fellowship of the German Academic Exchange Service Students at Risk Programme. He will pursue a PhD in political and legal anthropology on the topic of anti-Muslim hate speech in Myanmar at the University of Constance in Germany. Here, Nikki shares his expertise, experience and story with us. Let's start the conversation. Hi, Nikki. Can you hear us? Hello. Hello. Uh, hello. Hey, Nikki. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm good, but not not good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're well. Uh, <laughs> it's been a, a crazy, crazy time for everyone, and um, but we really appreciate you finding the time to talk to us. We know it's been a particularly difficult time for you, and you've had to readjust to a whole new life and country with your family and everything um, but we really appreciate you taking this time to add your voice to our podcast yeah yeah i'll, I'll just say hello as well because i've not met you before i'm ruth and it's lovely to meet you and thank you so much for, for taking the time today yeah nice to meet you uh, what well, i thought would be good nikki if maybe you just started because i know you've been involved in human rights from long before the coup and uh, maybe you could just tell us your story a little bit uh, about yourself and how you got involved in that and where you were leading up to the coup. Yeah, I, I was born and raised in uh, Mandalay. It is kind of the city in the central Myanmar. And so until my high school graduation, I don't have a good intention or good uh, dream in my life. But after the high school graduation, I have a chance to travel around the country and I've seen the uh, differences between us. So I was born and raised in the urban city. So at least we have electricity, you know, like a culture, not 24 hours, but eight hour, 10 hour, at least 16 hour a day. But when I've been to the rural area in the mountain and the north and the west and the east, or the eastern country that mostly on, on the hill. So those villages and those rural areas, so even to access the clean water and health services. So even I was raised and grew up in the urban city compared with the different, so at that time I'd have no idea. I have no real notion. And also after my high school, I, I uh, have to go to the university and my early uh, first notion is the the university under the military agenda uh, at that time cannot provide quality education for the student like me. And that notion enabled me to think like, you know, to find any 
alternate education. What else I can do? So I cannot change the system. I cannot change the government. So everybody, I mean, um, normal people like me, going to the university and having ed- education and try to get degree. But actually, there's no meaning in it. So I decided to go to the university distance education, which is like uh, not going to the university every day, but I have a lot of extra time. And, and I decided to go to library in Mandalay, and I started reading in Burmese and trying to read a historical text, historical issue from the different uh, author. Only in Burmese, I received uh, missionary uh, people from the U.S. They are Mormon, and they've been to Myanmar for the, their missionary, and they also have the extra time and they teach others. So I have a chance to learn from them. I mean, how to speak English and how to read and write English. So that's a kind of, I mean, uh, giving me an opportunity to learn more. Then in 2007, we have a Chevron revolution. So I didn't participate in the, the revolution, but I support, I mean, I try to support the people. I, I know the technical stuff like uh, how to use VPN and how to use internet during that time. So some people want to email information to the BBC, VOA, I mean, about the what happened in Myanmar in 2007. So I involved in that way. After the Chevron Revolution, I established my own organization called the Youth Association in Myanmar in 2007 in October. And I continued working until uh, 2013. So in 2017, I received a Norwegian government scholarship to study my master's degree in human rights. At the same time, I received the funding from international agency and I work on the various kinds of uh, programs. So mainly that the organization I established focusing on youth and youth education. During that time, uh, I, I failed the uh, violent, uh, act of violent and uh, state-sponsored uh, violent in Myanmar in one in Rakhine in 2012 and also 2013 in uh, Maitida and 2014 in a different part of the country make me so uh, depressed and I just want to stop working and I found the, I've seen the opportunity to apply for my master and I, I grabbed it and I applied for it and I got the scholarship. So I've been away from Myanmar for two years, 2013 to 2015, but my uh, research for, for my master degree, so I, I study or I focus on, on the instigation of anti-Muslim violence in Maitila, 2013 uh, March. So I'm, I'm out of the country, but I'm not away from the issue. And in 2015, I've seen that before that, I've seen the advertisement, uh, job advertisement from, uh, for the fire right, international human rights organization. And I am interested in applying and I applied for it and I took the interview. So I worked with them for as a consultant for SIGMED. And then later I began a full-time uh, human rights uh, specialist for fire right. So Nikki, when you were doing this, this human rights work in Myanmar prior to this year, did you encounter difficulties even under the civilian government? So in the years where we had that democratic transition, was there difficulties in the work that you were doing? Were you stopped from doing it? Did you feel threatened during that time? Yeah, we have a two civilian government, a kind of quasi-government from 2010 to 2015. So they are from the military and they take out their uniform and 
they, they held election in 2010 and uh, they began a kind of uh, newly elected government. We call the Deng Xiaoping administration, Deng Xiaoping Jing, in 2015. So during that time, we have some kinds of uh, openness, uh, media freedom, not really uh, necessary to report whatever we want to do to uh, authority. Not 2010, I've been followed by the special branch and uh, police and the military intelligence or something like that. But 2010, the democrat democratization happened. When NLD came into power, 2016 to 2020, so in, in 2000, uh, yeah, 2010 and 2015, also I, I said uh, the violence in Rakhine uh, 2012 and also the violence in 2013 in Metila. So these issues, I mean, always uh, criticize the government because of the state failure to protect the people and uh, people, uh, civilian, I mean, they need the protection from the state and the security forces. When the security forces fail to protect them, that is the uh, state duty to protect. So at the time, I mean, I criticized the government and the military and whoever, I mean, responsible. So yeah, sometimes I have a difficult time. Uh, sometimes it's difficult time mean I've been followed by the special branch, the officer from special branch and the military intelligence, some kind of situation. So I, I can say like I'm very uh, knowledgeable about the situation under the NLV government. Also, we have the uh, human rights situation. 2016 in Rakhine, the fight between Yemen military and the Arakan army, and also the fight between Yemen military and the DIA Kachin uh, independent army and uh, Kachin. So different part of the country, I mean, we still have civil war and people are in a great danger. So my job with the Firefly Ride, I've been monitoring all these situation on conflict area, like how many uh, community and how many uh, people have been uh, affected by the armed conflict. And in 2016-17 in Rakhine, because of the Rohingya crisis, are only stand up for the rights of the Rohingya and defending their rights. And some of my Rakhine uh, friends told me, like, I'm a Bengali right defender. I'm not a human right defender. Or they think, or they assume that I'm biased. But after the fight between Arakan Army and Yemen military in 2017 also, yeah. So I also stand up for the other civilian, I mean, uh, Rakhine Buddhists, for their rights as well. At the time, they see like a military is the major human rights uh, perpetrator. Like uh, they, they are the major uh, perpetrator and not only in Rakhine, but also the nationwide. And uh, some of them realized like they apologized to me like uh, human rights defender shouldn't be a bias and uh, we should be uh, extremely uh, uh, fairly uh, not based on the identity, not based on the religion or race or talent or any regardless of yeah those things. And they trusted me later. They trusted me during the government. So we, I mean, I talk about all these uh, issues. I criticize the government, criticize the military, and I also being a follow by the special officer from the special branch and also military intelligence in 2017 also 2018-19. So sometimes they follow me uh, continuously, very obviously I can realize that their face appear whenever I go 
uh, and live on the 35th Street and also uh, 42nd Street. So I live on the 35th Street for one year. I live on the 42nd Street for one year. So all these times I've seen the people, I mean, same faces. Uh, I recognize that who follow me whenever I go to the events and a meeting or any anywhere in Yangon. So that kind of situation, I mean, I, I mean, human rights defenders in Myanmar not easy, not not alone. You know, every civil society activist, human rights defender who speak uh, who speak out against the military and government have a similar experience. But for me, because I'm very high profile and well known, because I talk to the media all the time, not only a local media but also international media about all these uh, situation in uh, Myanmar. So normally my experience based on the human rights violation, mainly uh, perpetrated by the military, and I criticize all of their action, all of their violation. And also, Fortified Right is a very famous to uh, publish, not a lot, but a very uh, decent uh, publication of human rights uh, documentation in Myanmar, not only on Rohingya, but also other issues in the country. So. I have been very uh, kind of spotlight by the military and military uh, intelligence after the 2017 operation in Rakhine. And you remember, was there like one specific personal event that you experienced that you saw that, that made you passionate about this? Was there, is there anything that you can remember distinctly thinking, I need to make a change in my country, I need to change the human rights, or was it lots of different events? Yeah, I, I was in uh, 2000. Two or three, I mean, uh, I was uh, involved in the community hiking group in Mandalay. So I was uh, going around hiking in the mountain area. So I've been to Nagaland, from uh, Mandalay to Nagaland, in a kind of hiking. So we will a kind of drop, uh, stop by in, uh, in a, a small village. So in the evening, uh, a few people came and see it, like, uh, from the, another village. And they say, like, uh, they need help. Because they here, we have a, a medical staff or we have a medical uh, doctor in our group. Actually, we are student and we are kind of teenager, young people, so not uh, university student and not really uh, professional people. But uh, luckily, we have a one medical uh, student and we would like to see what is going on over there in the village. And we went there and see like uh, I see a very uh, crazy event in my life. A woman about to deliver a baby, so she's on the the kinds of the in front of the head, and some people are trying to help her, but uh, she cannot easily uh, deliver a baby. So two two big men using a very big bamboo and pushing on her abdominal abdominal to give a pressure to uh, to give uh, give a birth. So I never seen in my life in urban city. So other city we have a midwife. I mean everything. At least uh, we 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 can have a a kind of easy life, uh, easy life. But the baby, I mean, for that situation, a baby about to deliver, and also a mother trying hard, and baby uh, couldn't make it, and he he didn't make it. So at that time, I feel like okay, they I mean, a kind of tra- tragedy for them, and a kind of okay, does some people in those villages feel like normalize the issue, like, okay, that's happened for so many years, so they don't feel straight. But 
But for me, I'm coming from like a, another universe. I feel like this is extremely strange, and this is not. I mean, I feel like it's extremely not correct. So why are these people dying? I mean, this baby died, but also in that kind of realization and kind of notion, I I feel like who is responsible. So at the end, I I found the answer like government is the most responsible, and then they must help these people. We are the citizen. We pay taxes. So. For for those people, I mean, a lot of、uh, natural resources over there. So government and rich people, companies, that they are taking natural resources for their for them, but they never provided, they never contributed to those community. So in Myanmar, I mean, a different ethnic group and nationality, they are rich. I mean, they have their a lot of natural resources, but the government. I mean, military regime and the government or general,、uh, they are taking all these natural resources for their benefit, for their family, but not really、uh, contributing to those community over there. And I feel like, okay, the kind of inequality is totally、uh, just、uh, ingested. So I, I must do something for these people. So this is the motivation of began my very desire to help people. So normally,、uh, people who are born and raised in the city, so they don't realize they don't have a distinction between their life and other life in the Oberdale, in the jungle, or forest, or in on the hill. So because they never been there, they never have such experience. People who have、uh, experience, and I feel like、uh, this is a kind of the, the real empathy. I mean, empathy like、uh, needs to work on the human rights issue. So some people in Myanmar, like a charity, like a, because of the Buddhist、uh, country, and they believe charity is one of the will to help these people. But actually, without recognition of their rights, they need help. But this is their rights. You know, government must fulfill all these rights. Well, without recognition of their rights, and whatever I mean, charity or whatever I mean, donation or whatever is mean nothing. I cannot really、uh, contribute to their development or contribute to their、uh, livelihood. So, before the charity, before the donations, you know, first we need to recognize their rights first, and then later charity or donation to help them. I always talk about the issue in Myanmar, like the diagnosing. So, if we want to find a medicine for this problem. So we need first we need to diagnose. So we need to find、uh, research or investigate what was really happening, and then later we can find a solution for the right solution for the right、uh, issue or right、uh, problem. But sometimes people doesn't like to spend too much time to investigate like what is happening. So they think like they know everything. For example.、Uh, When Dawson、uh, Suji、uh, she met with Vice President、uh, Mike Pena in、uh, from the United States, so she said, "Okay, don't don't tell me you know anything because I know this country better than you, you know." So, but actually, it doesn't mean you know she know、uh, everything of this country. So, I mean, this country we have a very diverse and different issue on the ground. But the real thing is that we need to investigate what happening. What is the issue in, in in the community or in the society, and then later we can find the right solution for the right problem. But the, most of the politician and most of the people fail to do that. So when I joined with the Fortify Right, one of the, our 
main uh, objective, the main uh, activity is the uh, investigation. So we invest, investigate the human rights uh, situation in Myanmar, and also we engage with the people in power to change, or to change the the policy or to change the law. And also we also strengthen the civil society or any organization who need our support, and uh, we support them to move forward. Nikki, you've been doing this for a long time, and as you say, you're very well-known to to the military, to the government, to security forces because of the work that you're doing and have been doing for a long time. So when the coup happened, did, 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 you, did you see that coming? Or w- were you completely shocked or not surprised? Actually, I didn't expect the coup because of the 2008 constitution. I, whatever I uh, analyzed the constitution, I've seen the military 25% the seat in the uh, parliament and also three major uh, ministry they already control. So uh, 2008 a, uh, constitution mean uh, already uh, sharing power whoever elected by the election. So I never expect like a military will do uh, stupidly, you know, like a crazily crooked uh, because they already have so much power uh, given by the 2008 constitution. But before the February uh, first, me and my family were camping. So out of Yango and we are doing camp in uh, Bago, uh, so one or two hour drive from Yango. And, and on Friday, I received some of my contacts that told me like there won't be any coup at all. So I, I went for the camping on the over the weekend. But on Saturday evening, I also received another message saying like a high possibility of coup. And I should go back to Yangon. So on the Sunday, we go back to uh, Yangon. And uh, uh, next morning, so in the like uh, 4 a.m., 3 a.m., so a lot of people called me, but uh, I was so tired and I fell asleep and I silent my phone and I've seen hundreds of calls on uh, around 4 a.m., 5 a.m. in the morning. And after waking, I see, oh my God, what is happening? And I suddenly realized like, that was a cool. After that, so we need to uh, plan. I mean, we need to make sure how the right reaction against the coup. So at that time, I feel like, okay, this is the 2.0 or the coup, you know. So in the 1988, I mean, that version is the really uh, brutal. I mean, uh, bloodshed, uh, so according to my knowledge. And I feel, okay, uh, this time, first week and second week is seeing Okay, like uh, no bloodshed, no killing, and no aggressive uh, arrest or something like that. So I feel like this is great, like a 2.0 of the military coup in Myanmar. But later, military, uh, a few, three or four weeks later, military show their real, real color, real face, and start killing people. On February uh, 26 uh, and 7, so that came, you know, nationwide happened. I, I never expected the coup. But when I face the coup and I make a, a kind of plan how I can react against the coup. So I start talking to the media on the coup, uh, criticizing the media. So I already criticized the constitution, the 2000 constitution already abolished because of the coup on the February 1st. So people don't believe me or don't trust me or whatever I'm saying because the military is saying a kind of military propaganda is 
constitution still exists. This is not a coup. This is the a kind of the they don't trust in the uh, election pool in uh, 2020. So that's why they are just taking power, holding the power for why they will do a re-election and so whoever get elected, they will transfer power back to the civilian elected. So all these types of uh, propaganda during the first week of that, and also people uh, feel like, okay, within 72 hours, we shouldn't do anything because of the UN will take action or international will take action. A lot of rumors happen during that time. So I think I'm the first guy to criticize like the positive constitution already abolished and we need to a kind of uh, uprise against the coup. So people are still quiet because they have this they of fear. They don't like to go on the street to protest against the coup. On last um, year, I think the uh, fourth uh, February uh, leader organized the uh, protest in Mandalay and several uh, Yen leaders in Yango also organized the uh, flash mob protest. And then uh, 6 uh, February, we have a very uh, large number of protests in Yangon, led by Ipizamon and uh, Walker Union. But on Sunday, nationwide, the whole country go and march on the street and they protest against the coup. So it takes time to, to be uh, mobilized to go on the street. So first week, the military have been watching all these protests nationwide. And later, they feel very aggressive. They use excessive force to crack down all the uh, protests. And also, they use uh, their weapons to kill. And so all the, uh, the tragedy, uh, killing, uh, arresting, and torturing. So all these things like uh, what happened in 1988 and also 2007, the uh, Chevron Revolution. So right now, the number put a death pool around 800 right now. And uh, thousands of people have been arrested, and, and some have been uh, tortured, killed during the interrogation. All these happen, and I feel very uh, terrible. I mean, like I said, uh, I also have a friend from the military. You know, they normally they give they show a kind of army warning. So in early March, they told me like uh, military people, soldiers or officers. So they already deployed in the different township in Yangon. And the, the whole country, uh, they already control. And at the time, uh, my contact told me like I should run away from my home and I should be in uh, hiding because of if they found me or see me wherever, so I can be arrested and tortured and killed. So I cannot be. They will not prosecute me. You know? They will not arrest me for prosecution. They will arrest me for killing. So I feel like okay. That's really uh, dangerous, and so I never received such uh, early warning before. So some of my early warnings, so I should leave the country for a while. I shouldn't do this uh, and that. Some kinds of, I mean, uh, guided early warning in, in the past, but this time is really very uh, dangerous. So I start communicating with uh, some of the human rights defender network in Yangon and try to uh, say help in Yangon. So I go in hiding, so I cannot leave my uh, family uh, behind. So I took my family with me, and I go in uh, hiding for one week. My uh, safe house in Yangon is also not secure, so I should go to somewhere more safer. And I have uh, my uh, Fortify writer, CEO, and Instagram writer, so they have contact with the, some of the people from uh, Fibama Ranger, and they help me 
to connect with the game you are direct national union and uh, the arranged transportation for me so they uh, escorted me to go to a game uh, country and they provide shelter for the whole family so yeah that's the kind of the my experience how i get out of yango and go to pay your territory so if i don't rent i can be arrested and killed so that's the message i received from my uh, contact and I assume, Nikki, that the reason that you would be such a, a high target to kill is because the damage you can do in your knowledge and your documentation and the information you're providing to the outside world. And um, we've seen so many people arrested, killed, tortured. Uh, so I, I would believe that, that absolutely that would have happened to you. And I think you're lucky that you managed to get out and you had the support and help. We know some people are still in there. Some are still in hiding. Some are managed to get into safer areas and some are moving all the time. But it's crazy that this is happening is still in 2021. And it's just, where do we go from here? Like what, what can people do? I mean, you're lucky, like you're out now and, and we know that you're, you're on the students at risk program at Constance University and, and you're doing your PhD and you're going to keep fighting from Germany. And we know that. Myanmar is very lucky to have you on this side because you can't do anything from inside, you know. We all have different roles to play in times of crisis and there are people who will be making the, the food for people. There will people who will go on the front line and there are people who are documenting and keeping this in the international media's attention. So, um, but it's, it must be very hard for you to, to have left and to, to be out here too. Yeah, actually, my superpower is not leading or participate in the frontline protests against the coup. So my superpower is doing the advocacy, doing the human rights documentation to educate the international community on what happening in Myanmar. So yeah, I also totally agree with you. Like, so we should have a divisional level. What I mean is to produce federal democratic union. Everybody needs to take our own responsibility for the country. So people will not be uh, doing the same thing. So everybody have uh, different kinds of experience and background. You know, sometimes I highly uh, respect uh, people who sacrifice and participate in the protests and they are being shot and killed by the military. But I mean, sometimes I catch the feeling of the survival guilty. Like, uh, I mean, I've survived and, um, but yeah, also that opportunity to give more pressure on the military from the international community. Right now, I mean, uh, my family uh, condition. So yesterday, my father passed away because of the COVID outbreak in Yemen. So yeah, this week I've been seeing all these. Uh, oh, Nick, we didn't know uh, that. I'm so sorry. We, we did not know about your father. That's so sad. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a kind of, I mean, a crazy uh, situation in Myanmar. And uh, because of the failure of the health system mm -hmm. in Myanmar and uh, people, so my father, uh, he didn't have any underlying health issue. He's very healthy, but when he infected uh, with the COVID, so he cannot go to a hospital because of the hospital didn't accept him. And also he wants to go to the private hospital, also private hospital, also with a full of people. So he cannot get the treatment from the hospital. So he tried to get treatment at home from the mobile team. But after two weeks, he is no fever. He's getting better, but he needs oxygen. 
because his leg is damaged by the virus. To survive, he needs oxygen. So we trying to find a, a medical oxygen concentrator for him. It takes at least one week to get it. So people in Mandalay, we we are not alone. He's not alone. Mm-hmm. You know. Thousands, thousands of people are infected, and they are looking for oxygen. So they cannot get the proper treatment, and they are home. So my family trying to refill the oxygen slot. Sometimes oxygen ran short, and also I mean ran ran out. Military also closing the oxygen factory, and it's like you know, that mind feeling. So military think like, okay, these people supported annually. Now they suffer. And okay, I, we will let them. We will let them most suffer. Some something like so. They are trying to close the oxygen factory, and people cannot get the oxygen. Yeah. So cylinder oxygen, we have a several type. So that the big one, so he can uh, get the oxygen for four or six hours. But small one, like a one hour, three hour, we have a different tube, and we we need a refill. I'm not with them, and also only. Uh, my three sister, one little brother, uh, they also uh, in danger. Uh, so they haven't been tested for the COVID, but my two sister got the COVID right now. My nephew and also my mother as well. So yeah, under that situation, I mean, uh, my social network from Mandalay trying to help them. Even some people they have an extra tube, uh, oxygen tube, and they share with my father. But before yesterday, his SpO2 level, oxygen level. Again, 40. So he said, like, uh, he need to go to the hospital. So we trying to find the right hospital, and no hospital available. And then my family went back to the house uh, because of the, I think that he got tired because of the, uh, his oxygen level too low, and he traveled to the uh, several places in Mandalay. And later yesterday, 8:20 p.m., he passed away. That's just a horrendous, Nikki. I'm so sorry for your loss, and I'm so sorry for your family's loss. There's just, there's not any good words to say, and I just thank you so much for speaking to us today. I'm, I'm so sorry. This is happening sorry. like so many people are in this situation right now in Myanmar, and it is, it is almost like they're using COVID as a bioweapon on their own people. I mean, I know lots of countries are suffering and people are dying, but this could be prevented. These deaths could be prevented. Like we saw those videos of the military attacking medical care workers. There's some horrific images at a time of a pandemic. Like it's crazy. I just don't know where, where do we go from here, Nikki? How can Myanmar get through this? How can the military be out of power? What, what's the solution? I mean, I, I feel the, International community shouldn't give any legitimacy to this military agenda or the regime. The international community must respect the will of the people, will of the Myanmar people. So Myanmar people, I mean, everyone in the country, they don't agree with the military. They don't support the military. And there are only a few people who support them. So international community... Uh, must respect the will of the whole uh, country, the whole people. Under this uh, crisis, so military have been using COVID as a weapon. I mean, uh, situations can be uh, prevented, but they are letting letting it happen. So they they shut down the oxygen factory in Yangon and Mandalay. But it means like they are restricting people not to access, not to get the oxygen for their loved one, for their family, their life. 
pace will depend on these oxygen. So military node and they are restricting. So it means they are killing, I mean, indirectly killing all these people. So that's, they are committing crime and that should be uh, highlighted by the international community as well. I mean, they use their weapon to kill people, but now they are not using their weapon, but they is using their authority to restrict all these and also people cannot go outside, I mean, during night because of the martial law or the restriction. People after 8 p.m., people cannot really go out. So whoever go out can be shoot by the military soldier and police. So my father, one of the major challenges during the night when the oxygen ran out, so he could not get the oxygen because of the family really afraid to go out to fight or to go out with oxygen. So... This is happening in Myanmar. I feel like, you know, this should be a stop. And people uh, internationally also need to pill and more focus not only on the political issue, but also health issue. Health issue, how to find a solution or how to help these people. So yesterday I see a hundred funeral on my Facebook. And this tutorial I've seen the, at least twice of the funeral from coming from my friend from social media. So this rate of dying is extremely high than the first wave, the second wave of the COVID. Mm -hmm. So right now we say like a third wheel. So third wheel, because of the bad management or poor management of the gender, this impacting the whole country, people are dying. So military should realize their own mistake. Yeah, they will not change. International need to take immediate action to help people. This is the humanitarian crisis in uh, Myanmar. And, and Nikki, it is possible to get aid into the country without legitimizing the military. Like there are plenty of ways to do that. There are organizations, there are ethnic armed groups that can get this aid to people. There are ways and means of doing it. And I think a lot of the international community's excuses are, oh, well, if we help, we'll be legitimizing the military. But yet, I, you know, I, I just saw earlier today we have, you know, minister having an, a meeting and there is a member of the military sitting in that meeting. So you're already in many ways legitimizing the government. So to not give aid to a country at a time like this, when people are dying who don't need to be dying and can be saved is really is not acceptable. Yeah, military will use as excuse of that window opportunity for them to engage with the international community and show you, okay, we are the a kind of de facto military uh, regime and you guys need to work with us. You know, that kind of makes sense. But I think there are other alternative will like uh, there are strong civil society and ethnic uh, organization in Myanmar. I mean, international community, uh, international government also work with them to provide the, not giving the legitimacy to the military regime, but also working with them. So giving legitimacy to the military will harm, will more impact on the life of the people. Totally uh, respect and agree like this and this dream crisis, people are dying. Yeah, totally I respect the uh, but if international get more legitimacy to the gender, so the more people will suffer, the more people will be dying. So, I mean, to find an alternative solution and work with the civil society, work with the ethnic organization or ethnic civil society group and also ethnic armed 
do as well. So and there'll be that territory people also need uh, health services and the right to health health services. So that's the one of the fundamental right and also. When the state, when the military regime cannot fulfill this right, international have a responsibility to fulfill this right. So I only uh, urge international community to support the civil society and ethnic civil society to help these people, but not true with the military. If they work with the military, military will use as a means to influence the people and use people to support them. In Mandalay, I yeah I have several contact from the Mandalay General Hospital, and they told me uh, if I talk to the one of the military officer, and I say okay, my father got trouble, and uh, if he need a treatment, I mean I apologize him, or I mean I try to communicate with him, so my father can uh, get the treatment and get a, a kind of spot in the hospital, something like that. So. Yeah, I don't want to. Why I should、uh, apologize to him? I mean, why I、uh, talk to him? So I decided not to、uh, talk to him. Yeah. So are you saying that they said if you apologize to the military, they will help your father? Yeah. That、um, is that is、so、crazy. I, I, yeah, I have kinds of contact. You know, told me、um, some military,、uh, some some kinds of the military、uh, personnel. They are in charge. They are managing the. Hospital and、uh, the Mandalay region. So if I talk to him, like、uh, I mean,、uh, apologize to him or trying to, yeah, appeal, yeah, I feel I shouldn't talk to him. No, we see this a lot, like in the last while, where you know they're arresting people's children and their wives who are not involved in any pro-democracy or you know anti-coup things. Trying to get you the person they really want, and you know it's these kind of tactics are infringing on people's rights. But also, I, I mean, I don't believe them, and I'm not even sure if you did apologize, they would have helped. You know, it,、yeah. they're not people you cannot trust them for anything. You know, they 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 have no word. Yeah, yes,、yeah. that's, that's horrible. That's the way how the、uh, systematically, I mean, showing their power. Mean like okay, we control this hospital, and if you want to get access, yeah, you need to yeah, some kinds of I mean,、uh, degrading the hu-、uh, human dignity, not really you know treating as the human. So I feel like you know, so some people I mean,、uh, family member, I mean, who want to save their family member, okay, they will say like okay, previously we support NLD, right now we will not support NLD. Please help me, you know. So that kinds of apology, I mean, they went from the people. I mean, they hear that kinds of apology from the people. They will really give a treatment to them or not? I mean, I am not sure, hundred、mm-hmm. percent. But I mean, this is the way they control the resources, they control the facility to make, I mean, more difficult for the people. And then people get trouble, and then okay, you trouble because of, you don't support us or something like that. So that's really, really、uh, crucial. I think Nikki as well. Like one of the things you've mentioned previously is like accountability, and that's one thing we have not seen in Myanmar over all of these years. There's never accountability when things like this happen. This time there needs to be full accountability for the military. You know of what they've done.、Uh, it's never happened, really, has it? 
Yeah, this is the one of the key area I have been working on uh, uh, since 2015. So accountability, I um, talked to the NLD government, uh, mainly uh, focusing on uh, on Sun Suji. So because of the failure to address the transition objective, because of the perpetrator of the past human rights violations, they never brought to the justice, they never brought to, uh, to be uh, accountable. So without transition objective, I mean, how we can foster the democratic consolidation or democratic uh, development in Myanmar because of the, the, all the perpetrators stay alive and uh, they are not yet accountable or responsible for all these uh, uh, crimes. So, but the NLD, Don Sisuji, one of her policy is to please the uh, military and to forgive and forget about all these human rights violations in the past. She believes can move forward, you know, to bring a prosperity to the country and the whole, the whole people. But I, I don't believe, you know, because of the impunity they enjoy, you know, continuously they enjoy the impunity. So in the past and the present, and also right now we see the, uh, the coup. So the major element is uh, impunity. So if we cannot end the impunity, they will, uh, they will be enjoying doing or committing all the human rights violations. So this time, I think uh, people are already realized like uh, we cannot be easy on accountability and impunity this time after witnessing all these crimes they have committed. So right right now, I've seen uh, people apologize for the Rohingya, people apologize for the uh, all the other ethnic minority. So sometimes majority that means they never witness what happened to the uh, ethnic minority during the armed conflict. So right now, they, they see the true color of the military after the coup, how they lose their own property, how they kill people, how they torture. So I feel like all the time, military have been trained to do you know, such kind of thing. So they've never been trained on human rights, or they never trained on uh, humanitarian law, or not really. So they, they are the uh, a kind of uh, hand for the military, uh, military dictatorship. So they are not really uh, trained by the human. So they, they became uh, evil. They, they acting like not real human. So I don't blame them because of the, uh, the kinds of institute that, I mean, I mean, all these troops have been trained for what they have to do or what they need to do. So they only know killing people. They, they don't know, you know, how to save life. They don't know how to help people. So after, Collecting and seeing all the evidence on the ground, like the, they steal money, they steal property, they destroy, they kill people. All these, you know, uh, if they have been trained to, you know, uh, defend the people, they won't be uh, doing such kinds of uh, human rights uh, violation. But they are totally, you know, trained for what they need to do like this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of listening in absolute horror. It's like you were saying, the, the reason that you got involved initially was you went on a hike and you went and you saw the poverty and the injustice in your country, but you had to remove yourself from, from the city to go and see that. Not to say that there isn't obviously poverty in Mandalay, but the, what you saw on your trip was removed from your everyday life. Whereas what is happening in Yangon, what is happening in Mandalay, what is happening in every city that was developing was developed has is inescapable now and the way that they're they're handling this covid situation is like it's just absolutely 
horrific. Yeah, so like I said, uh, comparing with the oven and the rural area in Myanmar, I mean, I feel like the oven have uh, more facilities. But I mean, uh, compared with my Mandalay, my city Mandalay in Yango, I mean, compared with the I mean, city in Germany in Europe, I mean, we are absolutely left behind than you know other developed country. So now, what happened to the people in the city in Myanmar, and what will happen to the people in the rural area? That will be a more tragedy and more chaos, more people dying and uh, without any access to health services and uh, yeah, treatment. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we can imagine uh, that kind of uh, situation, you know, but comparing with the situation Yangon, Mandalay, and Calais, you know, so if that outbreak you know, reach out the whole country, so the death toll in the rural area will be more higher than urban because of the call up of the health system in Myanmar. And also in Yangon, we have the population, quite million or something like that, but the overcrowded in Yangon. So, yeah, that outbreak can be extremely impact on the population area, neighborhood in Yangon. So in Yangon, I've seen a thousand, thousand of people in queue to try to get the Oxygen. It means like, you know, they are left when their family member is sick and they cannot send their member to the hospital. So that's why they are getting the treatment at home. So at home, you know, I mean, we have a, a kind of problem of CDM uh, down to as well. So yeah, after the COVID, government accepted uh, uh, employees like the Dauti, they don't support the military regime and then they ran away from their hospital or their, their post and they are in hiding. So I, I do agree with them, like, you know, so non-violent uh, civil disobedience movement uh, trying to uh, not giving the legitimacy to the military region, but also, you know, they cannot govern. The military has no opportunity to govern these people. So right now, uh, the, the COVID crisis military know, like, okay, you don't follow our order, let them suffer. So that's kind of tactic that they are using and also making people dying. So I feel during this day very uh, depressed to see all these news from Myanmar. Yeah, like exactly as you're saying, what is inundating my social media at the moment is people crying out for oxygen, people with relatives that are sick and they can't get access to, to healthcare and to oxygen and they're scared. And in the same in the same light, I had messages this morning from a friend whose work colleague had been arrested for sharing a, an NLD post on Facebook. They'd been imprisoned, and they were asking for eight lakh to to get this this teacher out of prison for sharing a, a Facebook post. Whilst there is this crisis going on, and people are, are petrified for their lives and getting oxygen. They're still actively going around checking people's phones and violating people in this way. They're still prioritizing that kind of terror during the situation. And it's just, there are no words. It's just absolutely horrific. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen uh, some of the Yen uh, people, they call themselves the Generation Z. So when they got arrested and put a uh, figure out there for the uh, rich family, so they asked, like, uh, 
the highest number I hear like a hundred thousand US dollar, but the highest is a one billion of Myanmar check, yeah, more than one billion. So they they are kidnapping, you know, these people. But so young people, young generation, sometimes they don't have a political background, but they have seen it ingested, and they want to join the protest. And one of the police or military got arrested. I mean, they arrested and they figure out like that they are not coming from the political background was edited, and they figure out if they are coming from the rich uh, family. And so, okay, we can help them to get out and get money. So that's terrible. Uh, so military as an institution, I mean, uh, abide by the rules and regulation, abide the law, you know, and uh, they are not really uh, following. Uh, obeying all these rules and regulations. So the purpose of the military in the country is to defend the people, but they are killing people and they are uh, kidnapping people. So if they fail, I mean, how normal civilian can fight back to have a political dialogue or anything? So we need uh, international pressure. I've seen um, some of the young generation they establish, they call the people defense forces. I mean, sometimes they are all forces to fight back the military. They don't have the proper weapon, but uh, they only have their will. In the future, I mean, I'm extremely worried about war crime, not only by the uh, military, but also by the other forces on the ground. So, Myanmar in uh, current situation is very, very uh, chaos and very uh, problematic. As, uh, like people like me and other who foresee the problem, so we uh, try to give a warning. So all these situations can be prevented if we foresee the early warning or early uh, diagnosis of the problem. And then we can provide the right uh, recommendation, like you asking me uh, the recommendation to find a solution. So currently, Myanmar also a very great danger of the, the civil war outbreak. I mean, civil war already happened in the ethnic area, but the urban welfare in the major city. So right now, a lot of bombing, killing, shooting, all these, you know, people, well, I mean, right now facing the COVID, but I feel like the people will face a more danger, more uh, problem, like the lack of food. They will be in the starving uh, condition for now later because of the food price, food uh, production uh, stop, and all the products go up right now, the price go up. And in the past, one act like a hundred jet or one fifty jet, but right now is go up to three hundred, up to five hundred. The price within uh, one week is go up like a triple or more than triple. So okay, rich people can afford for the survival; they can buy food. And, but on the ground, you know, a lot of people, millions of people, they don't have a proper income and they cannot buy food. You know, they cannot have access to food and uh, so they will be dying or there will be a more chaos like uh, they will be uh, committing in the domestic crime uh, stealing or getting uh, money so this military is i think this is what military expecting you know they want more chaos they want more uh, serving people to commit in uh, domestic crime and then they can say like okay without the military who will protect you or something like that. So they are waiting for that kind of time and then let, let any situation happen in Myanmar and then one day people, okay, we need protection. 
then military will come up and say, like, okay, if you need progress, support military. So they are very crucial, very uh, mean to do such crime in Myanmar. I know that you have said previously that this is not an anti-coup movement. This is a revolution toward a new future for Myanmar. I think this time really matter and people were not given. I have seen the people so determined to fight against the coup, you know. So in the early state of the coup, you know, a kind of anti-coup resistance or anti-coup movement. But later, people think like we need a revolution. So revolution, what we mean by the revolution is, you know, so we see the problem of the military as an institution and country. So we need to uh, abolish the military and re- rebuild a new one and also rebuild the country. So the country right now, we have a, a kind of civil war and uh, the, the fight with the uh, military fight with the uh, ethnic armed organization. So revolution also to build uh, a new federal democratic union or democratic uh, state, a new federal constitution. So that's a kind of good side. And this is the product of the revolution, I believe, yeah. That's great, Nikki. Thank you so much for talking to us. And we're really sorry to hear about your, your loss as well. And we know it's happening to so many people. It's harder when we hear it directly from someone. So we are really, really sorry that that's happened. And I hope that when people hear this, you know, they can they feel inspired. And I hope it, it, it encourages people to educate themselves like you have. You're a great ambassador for education and the power of it. Um, and even when you had military education, you chose another path. You found a way to educate yourself. And you're a great example of, of how it works. Um, so thank, thank you, you so thank much, you. Nikki, for what you're doing. Thank you lots of love to your family um, and best wishes. Yeah. Actually, we, we are not alone, you know, the mm. whole country. So we need to be uh, united yeah, against the military and we will win. Yeah. I believe we fight, we win. Thank you for listening to RNR Podcast. You can follow us on all major social media platforms. It's at RNR Podcast, spelled A H N A H. Please like, follow, and subscribe. Myanmar remains in our hearts and thoughts. We have not forgotten you. Let's keep the conversation going.